Boy, this episode's going to be something. I am Nick, joined, as always, by Micah J. Loving. Hey, I'm already sad thinking about stuff, too, so we're all together. And, God, I'm running out of Jake Manning intros. He's a camp man. Burnt, burnt. Or that's the best one yet. That's the best one. That is the best one. You're not, you're not going to do offensive voices on this episode? I love it. All right. Uh, let's just dive in. When we last left off on Owen Hart, uh, it was at the Canadian Stampede, and Owen was about to get into a big old feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Owen and Bulldog would get a second chance at getting their tag team titles away from Mr. Austin after Sean vacated his half of the championships due to an injury. On the July 14th, 97 episode of Raw, Owen and Davey faced Austin and a partner of his choice. But Stone Cold don't need a partner because Stone Cold don't trust nobody. So Austin starts the match all by himself actually holding his own but not really doing enough to win that's when none other than sex icon dude love struts down to the ring immediately taking the virginity of everyone watching with his smooth gyrations and sex moves then davy eats a stunner and mrs foley's baby boy and stone cold win the titles Man, those knee move gyrations that dude love could do. Mmm. Instant fucking mmm. I love the story behind Dude Love where in a locker room, Mick Foley looks at Shawn Michaels and goes, You know, I wanted to be what you are. And seeing how two different that like paths they took to be who they are and their wrestling characters, it's just like I wanted to be you, but I turned into this. <laughs> like, it's just funny to me and they're like let's let's have this rib go on even further and i love mick's commitment that when he signs dude love memorabilia he signs it as dude love if it's <laughs> cactus jack he signs cactus jack that's but awesome. if it's mick foley or mankind so he basically does like three different types of uh, autographs and he writes mankind dude love cactus jack like he <laughs> does the different signatures for each one of them this will be something, no one will get this, but that'd be like Sally Field signing Sybil 17 different ways on that DVD. No one got that. That's fine. Oh, I've watched movies before. There you go. So from, from here, Owen would do a run with Stone Cold, leading to a Kiss My Ass match at 97 SummerSlam. And oh, Mamma Mia, he a break of his neck. Wow. I don't know what, what else to say. Oh, oh my God, fucking Nick. Not only do you do an accent at, a, at an untimely and unnecessary point, but it is also quasi-culturally uh, insensitive. <laughs> I mean, if you were, like, in the 20s, that'd be, like, considered racist because, like, oh, the ears are up. Like, people like Joe DiMaggio don't deserve to live. You know, like, that's, <laughs> like, that would just feed into that. But now we've gone past it, you know. Like, like Roddy Piper said WAP. In Madison Square Garden, and then WWE is like, "Yeah, let's put that on a DVD in mid 2000s <laughs> and not think anything of that whatsoever. Not bleep it out, just leave it in there." Nick, I like your new gimmick. We thought it was like, "Oops, maybe this is weird," but nah, you planned it the whole time. Bravo, sir. Bravo. 
And then you did it in the middle of uh, possible lifetime paralysis. But he's also one of the coolest motherfuckers I've met before in my entire life. And I have to stick up for him because the picture of him and me standing together at a New Orleans hotel is hanging on my wall. And it, he is staring down at me with his rattlesnake beady eyes. So <laughs> I must stick up for my boy, Steve. You know, all you got to do for Jake to defend anything you've ever done is take a picture with him and, you know, defend <laughs> you in a murder case. Not true. I have not <laughs> taken a picture with Shawn Michaels yet. And I will oh, defend wow. that man till my dying day. I've only merely run into him a couple times doing extra talent. I've been in his presence a couple of times before. I've ne I have never taken a picture with him before, nor have I told him how much he means to me. And no, we have never talked to on the phone with each other. And it sounds like we're talking to each other because we have a very similar voice. <laughs> All right, so Owen gets Austin up for this the sit-down tombstone pile driver, and if you watch it, you can see Austin's head way too far down and just splat changes Stone Cold's life and the next couple years of pro wrestling forever. Jake, do you have a reason why he uh, just pulled in a move that's rarely, if ever, been done for this? I mean, just big, big special moment type shit, or? Yeah, I think they probably just needed something and. I mean, I've been in that situation before because I don't have a lot of moves. So, like, sometimes I'll, like, ah, well, I'll throw this in here. It's been a while since I've done it, if if ever. We just need some more. We need another falsy here. I don't have a lot of other falsies. This tombstone would be a good idea. The story always goes. I mean, this has been discussed at nauseum on yeah. every one of Conrad Thompson's podcasts. You know, Owen was messing with him all day and... Steve's like, no, I'm serious. You go to your knees on this tombstone. But that would be the Undertaker's finish, and he's in the main event. Uh, so, like, there'd be the thought of, like, oh, I got to protect the finish. Like, it's got to be a little bit different. And then also, too, like, there's that thing of, you know, Austin fucking broke Chono's neck doing the same exact thing. Maybe that's why he was a little bit more like, hey, maybe don't do that because that shit's dangerous. Don't do it. I know because I fucking hurt somebody. And being very serious about it. And then Owen did that. And... Like, I got you. And then you're kind of just kind of up there. And also, too, like, if you're telling the guy over and over and over again, don't fall on your butt, don't fall on your butt, don't fall on your butt. And then all of a sudden you're like up there and all of a sudden that motherfucker goes with his butt. Like, you're going to like, oh, fuck, that could have even like moved his position more, tensed him up and caused even more damage. You know, we talk about this changing the trajectory of professional wrestling. I... <sighs> I, I think we, we got the same result in the end because fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin is a fucking goddamn warrior. Yeah. Um, we got kind of the same result. It, it also led to some stuff that we probably wouldn't have got otherwise, like the, the Austin on McMahon. So it maybe changed it for a positive, but also, too, we lost a lot of good years from Steve Austin because of this. Like, we, yeah. I mean, imagine Steve Austin versus John Cena when he was on fucking fire doing the the rapper gimmick like the doctor of thugonomics <laughs> versus the texas rattlesnake oh, holy fucking shit that would would have been insane and we would we would have got that and that could have been a nice passing the torch as opposed to steve just fucking duct taping his body for these last couple of years to finally make the money that he's fought to earn over these years and then of course owen the, you know, the story that Owen never said he was sorry. And I've heard different explanations for it and everybody's tried to explain it. I, 
you know, hearing from George as we from part one talking about Owen was like very apologetic, like immediately for just having his knees land on George for him not to even like apologize to Steve. I don't know how that is even possible. And at the same time, too, Steve telling him all day, don't do this, don't do this. And then him doing it anyways. It just all of this just seems very, very odd. A lot of people have theorized that maybe Owen was embarrassed and 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 like and like like I've I've done some people wrong like I've I've fucked up because I was drinking a lot I'd wake up the next day hungover and I still got some of that poison inside of me and I would fucking spew venom and make people's lives fucking miserable and fuck people over and do awful and horrible things to them and there are times where I see that person I'm like ooh fuck um I did something wrong to this guy and the proper thing to do would be to go up and apologize for whatever. But then there's times where like, let's just lay the, let this lie for a while, let this lie for a while. And if I get caught alone with this guy, we'll, we'll hash it out. Cause sometimes that happens. And then also too, when that happens and also with professional wrestling, when something just minor comes up, everybody turns into like Michael Jordan in the nineties where they started inventing theories that this person had it planned all along. And he was really trying to do something wrong to me and, and invent whatever you need to invent to make yourself right in the situation, make the other person seem like the extreme wrong. All those things just are wrapped up into this. Like everything that's wrong about a situation of a wrestler getting hurt, uh, or is wrapped up in this specific moment. And if nothing else, I, I hope young wrestlers and all wrestlers learn from this situation that you need to take care of the guy, overly apologize, do whatever you need to do, like just make sure the guy's okay, be there at the hospital bed, all of those things. I'll never forget when I, one time in the match with Caleb Connolly, we were wrestling, I he went for a tornado DDT and I just chucked him off. It was a spot that Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero did multiple times and I just chucked him off and then he was supposed to like get on end up sell up on all fours and I was going to give him like a fucking sidekick right to the head well he didn't sell up on all fours he's just laying there and I ran over to him like I was going to go oh, I'll go for a pin and as I'm walking over he goes I can't feel my legs and I'm like fucking hell so like I'm like okay and I was like gently just kind of like moved him and moved I had the ref away then all of a sudden he started to stir he kind of got on all fours, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to give you the... I might have gave him the kick. I don't know, but it was like the weakest fucking kick ever. And then I grabbed him in a like a camel clutch for a while, but it was like the lightest camel clutch of all time, but I could like hold him up there for a while. And also, too, I could talk to him the whole time right. and like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And he goes, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. And then we finished our match, and then as soon as he got back from the match, he just like fell down. And then like I'm like right over top of him. And just with him and, and holding his hand and being there the whole whole time. And meanwhile, his girlfriend's talking to uh, somebody else over top of him, walked over and said, are you OK? And he said, yeah. And then she walked off with this other guy and left him there. And that was the moment in time where me and Caleb became friends because I'm like, if nobody looks out for this kid right now, nobody else will. And I remember that moment very distinctly. And I remember thinking about this moment right here with Austin and Owen and thinking about how kind of messed up it was that Owen wasn't there to be there for somebody that he hurt in a ring. And I, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that to Caleb because at that time, fucking Caleb was a guy just fucking tormented because once again, <laughs> drinking like an alcoholic. And also he was the new guy. I, I was about as bad to him as James Hetfield was to 
Newmstead when he joined the band after Cliff uh, Barker died. So that's how, that's how much I of a fucking you asshole I was. Metallica documentaries too, Jake. We'll I just know the story of Metallica. I lived it, but that's you know, like I I could have been a fucking asshole and been whatever, but I, yeah, I just I I couldn't. And then I that's always the thing that I thought of is like. I don't know how, once you hurt somebody in a ring, being the consummate professional, how you would not like apologize and be there for that person through all of it. It's it's really rough for me to watch. I, I think I was watching live, but watching it back, like I remember they used to show clips of it a lot and uh, seeing his foot and his feet. I don't know if you guys have ever had a stinger before or had like nerve damage. I I have. And felt like I couldn't move my arm for a while. And, like, I got to, it was so bad that I couldn't even, like, change the station on the car radio. I couldn't hold my arm up that long. And, uh, like, it was, I've, I've had that paralysis before. I know what it's like for your arm just to not exist anymore. And you're fighting to move it as much as you can. And it's taking everything in your fucking body. So seeing, like, Steve move like that, it's really hits home with me. And then in that aspect, it kind of like turned me off to Owen a little bit <laughs> because all that happened. And I even kind of like felt responsibility towards him, like even as a fan at the time. And I'll even say this, like I was so on the side of the hearts and Canada and all that because uh, I was just oh, I was at that time a, a Brett fan. I love Brett and Sean equally. Now that's obviously changed. And also, too, like, I, I never really accepted Steve Austin. Uh, even even after the WrestleMania 13 match, I still never accepted him as a babyface because I was still rooting for Bret Hart. But when seeing him like that <laughs> and trying to just fight to the end of a match, like, that was the thing that sold me on Steve Austin forever and galvanized how I, I feel about him. And so, like I said, people have rehashed this and angles and discussed this, but this is our podcast. This this is my personal feelings on this and how it's affected my life. So hopefully this has been interesting and not a big ramble session. But uh, this was a formative moment for Steve Austin, Owen Hart, and as well me and my life and my career and how I've how I've treated people. The one what the fuck sidebar that really stood out to me about this was that Davy Boy got pissed at Austin because he said that his weak roll up exposed the business. Wow. <laughs> I was like, um, well, I mean, you know, there were certain conditions that uh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure watching this live as it happened, people were like, What the fuck? Uh but man, going back and knowing that's what happened to Stone Cold and seeing him get to his fucking feet to raise the title and sh- it's just oh. it hurts me to watch. Like it's it's very uh it's it's brutal. What got me watching it was just how in-depth Austin talked about his body parts responding and everything and how he could move his arms but his hands weren't responding and watching that where his hands are all crinkled up as he's still moving his body and him trying to kind of like push his hand with his arm if that makes sense and just god you 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 felt for him so fucking bad and Austin described it beautifully about the just the gong going off through his body just rewatching it over and over was almost torture but it it did. It, it it put him over more in my head. And as far as Owen not apologizing, it seems so outside of his character just to just not do it. I can't imagine the guilt he felt, the the embarrassment as a professional 
to not only botch a move at one of the biggest shows of the year, but to almost kill your coworker. I mean, he had to have had a lot of internal horrible feelings and it's just like man maybe he just couldn't even look steve in the eyes i mean he at that point that night those next couple weeks for all owen knew he ruined his life and like how do you live with that guilt and approach that person it's a big thing to do to go up to the person that you just fucked over possibly forever and look them in the eye and say sorry it's the right thing to do it's definitely not the easiest thing to do oh it's it's one of the most difficult things ever. Like the few times that it happened, like the like the Caleb thing. There's like a couple, just a couple other minor things, like even just like just kind of like catching somebody a little bit too much on a punch. Like you you talk about the embarrassment as a professional. That's that'll eat away at you. I mean, like I said, the, 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 I've had like weird feelings about one time I caught CW Anderson with a punch a little too much one time because <laughs> I just mistimed it wrong and I felt awful and horrible until one time he got me in the middle of a tag match. Like he got me underneath the chin with an elbow. I'm like, oh, I feel so much better now. <laughs> and it, that was like a year and a half later. <laughs> just that fucking carrying that fucking guilt around just to kind of process it i it's like i don't even know how you wrap your mind around like possible paralysis like i was wrestling with this it just knowing myself and how hard i can be on myself just like kind of like jake said sometimes when you're joking with someone and maybe it comes off mean and i might do that and feel shitty for the next two days until something kind of washes over it and just it had to be shame it had to be guilt it had to just be crushing him that he couldn't face austin that's the only thing that makes sense to me, hearing all the other great character stuff about Owen. He just had to feel the worst, man. Owen would go on to meet Farouk in the finals for the vacant Intercontinental title at In Your House Bad Blood, rocking a new t-shirt. Owen 316, I just broke your neck. And uh, towards the end of the match, Farouk has the upper hand until Austin, who was ringside the whole time, clocks Farouk with the title. Owen rolls over on top of him to win, get his second Intercontinental Championship. And afterwards, Austin said that he wanted to be the one to beat Owen for the title, and he'd get his chance at 97 Survivor Series. The Survivor Series match is just over four minutes. They actually tease a pile driver spot, which I thought was great. Owen catches a couple middle fingers and a stunner to lose the title. And later that night, the Montreal Screwjob took place. Uh-uh. I will say that the Montreal screw job was a bit divisive. Um, Brett obviously left the company as did British Bulldog and Jim Neidhart, which leaves Owen. So there are a million different versions of how this went down. Bruce Pritchard white knights Vince and says, Oh, 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 oh yeah. On my face is great, <laughs> sir. Oh, 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 it's so big Vince. Oh, well, Pritchard says Vince gave everyone a chance to leave Scott free. Uh, Of course, Martha says that is absolutely not the case. And if Owen would have broke his contract, he would have gotten sued. Jim Cornette says that Davey had to buy his way out of his contract and that Vince would basically promise Owen the world, you know, titles working on top, which, as we'll see, uh, maybe that was the case, but that would soon get squashed by Mr. H and Shawn Michaels. 
So uh, no matter how it went down, Owen was a professional. And after being off TV for a bit, he showed back up at In Your House DX. After Shawn Michaels retained his title against Ken Shamrock, Owen would run out and attack Shawn. About this time, like, I was very confused. Because also, you got to keep in mind, too, WCW was paying off the Sting angle. So I'm like, I'm invested in hogan versus sting happening i'm I'm focused i'm focused on this was that and then all of a sudden i'm like holy shit owen's back and he's gonna get revenge for his brother yeah. and i was super fucking excited thinking that like oh there's gonna be this big payoff of owen versus sean and, and like in, in my mind i'm like oh man they had such great matches before because it always seemed like if something happened to sean and we need him to kind of like if he had a big loss or dropped a belt or, or like he's coming to WrestleMania, but we need him to wrestle on pay-per-view and something worthy, put him against Owen. Like they had that chemistry and like I knew they would have good matches. So I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, Owen versus Sean. But now the roles are reversed. This is going to be fucking badass. And then none of that fucking happened. Yeah. Now faced for the first time in a long time, Owen became the Lone Heart, also known as the Black Heart, buying into a bit of an edgier gimmick, uh, which was in tune with the direction WWF was going. Owen would feud with DX and challenge Sean for the WWF title on December 29th, 97's Raw. Owen had HBK in the sharpshooter, which had to be just such a fucking thrilling moment for anyone on the heart side. But then Triple H comes out to interfere saving Sean and giving Owen just a little DQ win. And just to say about the Blackheart gimmick, I'm easily going to say that Owen's best promo is the December 15th Raw where he Vince invites him to come up to explain his actions because he's been coming out of the crowd and beating the shit out of Sean. And when he comes in there, he's got he's all in black. He's got his hair back. He's got the serious look. And the promo he cuts here, Owen is so focused. He doesn't fumble over anything. He, it, it, it's easily his best work i think and it's so fucking good cops escort him out of the ring the entire crowd is chanting owen you feel that top baby face vibe off of owen and it, it, it's it's sad because it didn't nothing came out of this shit but it's fucking electric and amazing you gotta watch the december 15th raw of that so with owen and sean not really happening we get owen versus triple h still pretty good on a Raw that aired January 26, 98, Owen faced trips for the European title. However, it was just Gold Dust dressed as Triple H. Uh, Owen would beat him, but Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter considered Gold Dust a legit replacement and held up the decision, making Owen the new champion. Well, and also, too, we, I, like, I've, ne- I've never heard a good answer on why the owen sean thing ever happened and and like i get that we pivot to to triple h and maybe that's a situation like go to triple h and then you're working your way to sean like i mean we could put it all on sean but do you think like steve austin in saying something like you're gonna make this guy the top baby face this guy right here this guy that broke my neck you don't think that maybe like a double whisper campaign to me that makes the most sense when you have sean being like man i don't trust this guy because somebody did to steve and then steve going yeah this motherfucker hurt me you gonna put him in the top baby face spot i'm the top baby face if austin did that i get it he had every right to be salty as fuck but the man steve austin i don't see him doing shit like that i know he had like a little 
politicking, you know, backstage drama, you know, side to him sometimes. But I don't think I don't think, it, know, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily politic, and I think it's one of those things of he could be like I don't fucking like this, and yeah. then of course everybody around him like, oh well, Steve's really mad, like because it's high school. Right. You know, right. he could say something like, I don't like this. And like, oh, well, Steve's really mad about this. You know what Steve said? Oh, yeah. shit. Fucking Steve thinks Owen doesn't even belong in this business. Fucking Steve was saying. And then it turns into this whole thing. And then that gets to someone in talent relations. Like, what? The guy who's selling all these pay-per-views? Oh, you know, Steve's not happy with this. Yeah, the reward around the locker room is Steve's not happy that Owen's back. You know, like, and that's what it turns into. Yeah. So whether it's politicking or him being vocal, like, and that's, I think, a lot of the thing that probably happened with people in the clique. They would say they would say their opinion, and that would be it. And then telephone, tell a wrestler, right. and then somebody in power would be told, you know, the word in the grapevine is this. Like, well, we can't have our top talent upset. Let's do this. When really they're like, no, I don't give a shit, man. You know, because that's the way wrestling locker rooms work. Like, it's like you get a, you get a little bit of germ or a little bit of mold, and then it fucking just grows without your fucking knowledge, and you you just change the whole fucking environment. It's this how it works. Not only would the HBK Owen angle kind of get squashed, the Triple H one not going to be much better. Owen loses the belt back to Trips on a March Raw, setting up a rubber match at WrestleMania 14. For this match, China was cuffed to Sergeant Slaughter to keep her from interfering, but towards the end, China throws a big old wad of cocaine in Sarge's face, oh. causing him to start rambling on about business ideas. That allows her to dick punch Owen, who is no Joey Ryan, trips bang with the pedigree, and that's it for Owen's title run, as well as Owen ever sniffing the main event ever again. So next up for Owen would be a feud with Ken Shamrock. Not long after Mania, during a tag team match with Kim Shenrock against Mark Henry and Rocky Maivia, Hart turned on Shamrock, snapped his ankle, leading to Owen joining the Nation of Domination. How progressive of Owen to join up with the Nation of Domination. Like, <laughs> I mean, imagine him wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. You know, like, that's just kind of... <laughs> I don't know. Ill-time joke. I felt like we needed a little bit of humor. Yeah. It's been very heavy already. And it's going to get a lot heavier in about, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how your outline looks. So I'm just trying to make a joke. So if you're offended by that, sorry, I'm trying right now. And this is all we have right now is to talk about Owen joining the Nation of Domination. And that, I, that's all I can do. So. I'll piggyback on top of Jake and uh, in a shoot interview, D'Lo Brown said that within the Nation of Domination, they used to call Owen Mr. White Folks because <laughs> he was there to make white folks mad. So as part of this run, Owen would get himself a tap out shirt and illegally stream three UFC pay-per-views, fancying himself an MMA fighter. Yeah. Uh, he'd hire Dan Severin to run his camp and the two would try to put out Ken Shamrock over the next couple of months. The fully loaded match between Owen and Shamrock, they do the Hart Family Dungeon match where they actually fight in the Hart Family Dungeon. Yeah. I rewatched that match, man. They booked the shit out of that. You can tell they went down in there and figured out every innovative spot. It's like, oh, I can hang off this pipe, and you do that, you do that, ooh, and then, and then I'll bump hard here. It's like, they bump so damn hard. The ending is uh, one of Owen's best heel finishes. 
Dan Severin gets bumped, so he's groggy and out of it, even though he's a professional fucking MMA fighter. <laughs> so then Owen picks up a barbell, hits Ken in the back of the head. Ken goes down. He's knocked out. Keep in mind, this is a submission match. Owen grabs Ken's right hand, and as Dan Severin is waking up from his groggy state, Owen positions himself so the POV is Owen grabbing Ken's hand and tapping to a submission hold, which Dan Severin then calls, even though Ken Shamrock is knocked unconscious from Owen Hart's illegal move. It's fucking brilliant. Very underrated finish that Owen nailed to perfection. I like you're like, oh, they did all these creative things. And like, what was the finish? Yeah, hit him and have the barbell. Like, <laughs> I mean, like we're coming up with this unique creative things. What are we going to do for a finish? Uh, how about I pick this up and fucking hit this in the back of your head? <laughs> it's like for his heel character. It's perfect, man. This led to a Lion's Den match at SummerSlam 98 in a UFC-style octagon. And I don't get why they'd want to mix fake predetermined fighting with pro wrestling, Micah. Oh, God, it's the easiest joke in the history of time. <laughs> Every um, time. Rewatching this match, I, I my first note was just like, this shit is cool looking. <laughs> the finish for the Lion's Den match is also pretty cool. Owen gets Ken in like a dragon sleeper, yeah. and he like ninjas his way up the cage with his feet, <laughs> flips over, puts Owen in the ankle lock. Good game. Yeah, it needed the Mortal Kombat theme song going right there. So Owen would remain with the nation throughout the year until the stable slowly broke up. September 28th, 99, he'd have a match against Dan Severin where he fucking pile drives him too and kayfabe breaks his neck. Yeah. And they played this up that Owen would feel so guilty that he would retire, which kind of, I feel like maybe he pulled that from real life in the St Steve thing. I bet he felt so guilty he wanted to retire. A couple weeks later, however, the Blue Blazer showed up to attack Shenrock and Steve Blackman. And a couple weeks later, the Blue Blazer would help Jeff Jarrett beat Val Venus, who is just an idiot on Twitter. <laughs> He's also an idiot on Facebook, too. It's just, it's basically his Twitter feed, but longer. Oh, God, no. Can Kayantai please actually cut his dick off? <laughs> So uh, Owen would come out and he would deny that he was the Blue Blazer, saying he was retired. Uh, they'd even do some like Tony Clifton stuff and have <laughs> Owen on camera with the Blazer. Uh, the best one is sometimes the Blue Blazer would come out and he was black. So Owen <laughs> had a very good defense about not being the Blue Blazer. Unless the WWF doing blackface back then, not totally out of their wheelhouse. <laughs> actually happening at this exact time when, <laughs> while owen was in the nation like they're already past it yeah like they've already done it they've already moved on because they had they had that jason sensation guy which would glaze over do that impersonation of owen i think it was jason sensation whoever it was but yeah they were already doing blackface they'd already done did and be like well that was a hit let's put that on every dvd from here on out I can't begin to tell you how guilty X-Pac feels about that. He genuinely <laughs> is, like, crushed that he did that, and he, I don't think he understood, like, the weight of what he was doing, and he is very, very sorry. <laughs> I mean, in his I, defense, sure he now. probably doesn't remember doing it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, if anybody's wondering, apparently it was Coco Beware. High Energy was reunited. So in late 1998, Owen would start tagging with Jeff Jarrett as himself as well as the Blue Blazer. They'd eventually win the tag team titles, January 25th's Raw from Shamrock and Bossman. They'd have a successful defense at WrestleMania 15, but then lost them April 5th, 99 to X-Pac and Kane on Raw. Owen and Jeff continued tagging until May 99, with the Blue Blazer appearing sporadically. And I think at this time, the 
the story was always that they wanted to do a breakup angle of Owen and Jeff Jarrett and have some sort of like love triangle thing with Deborah that Owen was, you know, in love with Deborah and Owen didn't want to do it because he's just like, fuck you, I almost have all the money that I need for my dream home and I don't want my kids to see this shit. So I've been around long enough, I've done this long enough. If you want to fucking fire me, go the fuck right ahead. And they're like, nah, we don't want to fire you because we don't want you to go over there and it, it draw ratings, so we'll just keep you here. And I remember, like, like George told me that he ran into Owen at about this time or had a conversation with Owen, like, roughly about this time. And Owen's famous words to George was... um he goes, yeah, you know, things are kind of tough right now because you want me to do this and I don't know about that. But uh, there's some big decisions I'm going to have to make very, very soon was basically his exact words uh, about about this time period where his career was at. So eventually we're going to cover Bobby Heenan and that's going to tear my heart into shreds. Uh, eventually we'll cover he who shall not be named and everything that happened with that but this may be the hardest thing we ever have to talk about on this podcast on may 23rd 1999 owen was set to take on the godfather for the intercontinental championship at the over the edge pay-per-view the blue blazer was planned to repel from the ceiling at kemper arena in kansas city missouri though owen had done this spot before he wasn't ever really on board with the stunt and he even tried to skip out on the practice runs hoping that if he wasn't there, they'd just scrap the idea. So Owen went to work out at Gold's Gym. He hit up a Starbucks and grabbed lunch with a fan, all while ignoring calls from WWF. But they eventually got to him, and they apparently told Owen that if he didn't get back to Kemper, he'd be fired. Owen eventually showed and did a practice run, and everything was fine. They do at least three test runs, one with a 250-pound sandbag, one with the rigger's assistant, and one with Owen. Then at the actual pay-per-view in a dark end arena, they played a Blue Blazer promo on the Titantron. Owen headed to section 221 of Kemper Arena, climbed a ladder to the very top of the building to prepare for his descent. He was attached to a line equipped with a quick-release snap shackle that would allow Owen to easily get out of the contraction, with WWF wanting Owen to comically faceplant from the last couple of feet, something they were unable to do with a proper locked attachment. The entire apparatus was apparently below industry standards, and WWF's go-to rigger for stump like this refused to ever use a quick release, so WWF went with another guy. Now, while the load capacity was never in question, the position of the quick release was, with it being in a spot where the performer could easily trigger it, opposed to having it, like, say, behind Owen's neck, where it would be much more difficult to trip. So while referee Jim Cordera helped clear debris from the previous hardcore match, Owen began his descent. But Blue Blazer's costume got caught in the quick release. Scared of tangling or possibly even choking, Owen tugged on his cape, trying to pull it out. This triggered the quick release, and from 78 feet in the air, Owen tragically plunged at a rate of 45 miles per hour, hitting the top rope, with his foot brushing Jim Cordero's head and Owen's chest taking most of the impact, rupturing his aorta artery. WWF cut away to crowd shots as medical personnel rushed to the ring. In the chaos, Jerry Lawler rushed to Owen's side, 
and they played a Blue Blazer promo on the Titantron while Owen lay dying in the ring. Hart was transported to the Truman Medical Center in Kansas City. Meanwhile, the over-the-edge pay-per-view continued as scheduled. Several attempts to revive Owen were made, but the internal bleeding from the blunt force trauma was too much, and on May 23, 1999, we lost one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, one of the most loved co-workers and peers of all time, a family man, a brother, a husband, and a father, and Owen Hart was dead at just 34 years old. The part that surprisingly fucked me up the most rewatching this last night, JR, God bless him, I really don't understand how he did the things he did, but when they finally move forward with the show, there's a live promo segment with Kevin Kelly, Jeff Jarrett, and Deborah, because they're going to face Nicole Bass and Val Venus in the next match. And there's a moment, Deborah and Jarrett, they're, they're in kayfabe, and they're doing their shit, and Jarrett's doing his character, and then he breaks character and then says that he's praying for Owen, and then Deborah breaks and says the same shit, and then he goes back into character, and it's just... That shit of just like, all right, we're doing our fiction, we're doing our fiction, but Jesus Christ, this moment is too much. He had to break it. He had to extend a hand and just that little moment crushed me more than about any of it. Just seeing their reaction and how fucked up they were and how hard it was to hold back with Owen like rolling right by him. And man, the way Jim Ross explained how he got the news, how... Basically, they were like, yeah, so Owen's dead, and you're back in 10, 9, 8. For Jim Ross to handle that and and deliver the the speech he did is, I mean, what a professional, what a trooper, what a fucking man. Yeah, him and Jerry. Yeah. And the fact that Jerry was got up and, and checked on him, and I mean, there's photos of Jerry, you know, trying to squeeze Owen's hand or being close enough to touch him and just knowing that he's gone and then having to go back to doing your job. And then you just talked about Deborah had having to cut a, a promo while Owen's lifeless body is being rolled right past her on the other side of like the camera. Like to, I don't even know how you, you, I don't even comp. I can't even comprehend that. That is insane. And there's a lot of stories, and this is always the thing that gets discussed time and time again. But there's there's two particular stories that have come out of this that I I think are very indicative of who Owen is. If we're going to talk about this tragedy, I think that we should talk about these particular things. And the other things that I think of is that. Since it's in Kansas City, that's where Harley Race is located. But obviously, Harley can just walk right into a WWE event or could walk into a WWE event whenever he wanted at any moment in time, whether he was the NWA champion or not, and nobody was going to stop him. But obviously, if they're in his hometown and it's a pay-per-view, so he's going to roll by. And he'd always legendarily have these, you know, chili cook-offs and make these wonderful chili. And of course, his wife BJ would be there, and she, she was, you know, a really good cook too. And Owen, I guess, was climbing up to, was making his way up to his position to rappel down, and he ran into Harley and BJ, and 
or they could sense that he was nervous about doing the stunt, the sense that Owen was apprehensive and really worried about it, and, you know, ask him about it. And Owen famously said, this is so Owen, is so such a, a thing that a nice guy would do. I'd be doing a lot better if I was having your cooking, BJ. You know, like <laughs> yeah. just... Like, just like, oh, I'm nervous, but I just want to get through this. And, you know, I'd be doing a lot better if I had a home-cooked meal from you, BJ. And, like, that's just how cool he is. Like, he makes a joke to make somebody else feel better. <laughs> or when he is the nervous he's probably been in his entire life. And then, of course, the legendary story that Jimmy Caderos talks about, that when Owen was falling, Jimmy heard somebody yell, look out! Or watch out, or heads up, or, or or something like that. And Jimmy still thinks that was Owen as he was falling, warning Jimmy, "Get out of the way! Get out of the way! I don't, I don't want to land on you. I don't want to hurt you." Like if that's the last thing that Owen Hart did, is he didn't want, to, he wanted to avoid injury of another human being. Like that's speaks to who he is. He's like more worried about somebody else. It, it, it might have been a fan, but I'd like to believe that was Owen. And that was his last act was thinking about somebody else. How do you guys feel about the pay-per-view continuing? As a performer, I agree. I 100% agree it show went on. I know that's not a popular opinion. I never knew Owen, but I, I would assume that he would want the same considering how selfless he was. And how much he loved professional wrestling. And I I would assume, but I can't say that for sure. And the only reason I can definitively say that I agree with it is that I can speak to my own experience that if I ever die in a wrestling match, I would want whatever show I was on to continue. If the performers felt that they felt comfortable performing. Now, obviously, a show that I would die on would not be a pay-per-view. But like it, like an indie show, if the people on the show wanted to continue, they'd be fine. Now, obviously, if it was television and stuff like that, there's more expectations and people have paid money and there's far more fans involved that are going to see it. Then, and if people feel the responsibility to them to continue on, then I, I wholeheartedly agree to go out there and perform for those people and have the show continue because I love wrestling that much. And my whole life has been about making professional wrestling better and i even would go as far to say that i've told zane riley and caleb Connolly and all my other friends on multiple times don't do a 10 bell salute for me which is funny and ironic because we're on a <laughs> podcast called 10 bell pod i have told people time again do not do a fucking 10 bell salute don't do a fucking memorial event. Don't do any of that fucking shit because know what happens every time you fucking do that it makes people in the audience sad when these people paid money to see a wrestling show and make them feel happy, why are we going to waste any more fucking time on me to, to make them sad? I'm gone. And that's that's how I feel about it. And that's how much I love wrestling. I can only surmise that maybe Owen would feel the same. But at the same time, too, I, I think he would appreciate the acknowledgement of like the Monday Night Raw after. But... I don't know. I can't speak to him because I never met the man before. But if you want my opinion, if I was in Owen's spot, I would want them to do the same exact thing. If anything else, don't do a tribute show the next day. Just do a regular show. And let's just focus on making people happy today. 
I definitely see arguments for both. I don't know how Owen would have felt. You know, I don't know him either. It, it's it's such there's no winning. I mean, what do you do? You go out, pick up a live microphone, and tell what twenty thousand people they just witnessed a death. I mean, do you do that? I don't know. It's like there's no winning in it, and I don't like even arguing about it really because at the end of the day, Owen Hart lost his life, and that is the most important thing. Fuck the show. Fuck pro wrestling. It's Owen Hart died in that ring more or less for no fucking reason at all. So run, run the rest of the show. Don't run the rest of the show. There's something much bigger that happened here. I'm basically copying what Jr. said on his podcast, but when he said it, it's, it fucking hit me. He just said, I disagree with what they did, but I understand it. The fucking chaos of everything and probably the very stupid hope that they had of just like everything working out. Owen got hurt, but it's going to work out. So yeah. the show's going to go on and it's going to work out, man. Cause it's, he can't fucking die. He can't actually die. Cause there was, there was an hour in between the accident and then the announcement when JR found out, I think, I mean, a lot of people knew based on his color and all that shit, but I, I, there was probably just a lot of just stupid optimism that just, this it just, it can't be like this. So, I mean, and it, like it's been said before, it's just this hadn't happened before. There's no checklist for this. Everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off, man. And just the two details that hit me so hard doing research was Shane McMahon passionately s- screaming at Owen as they wheeled him by to come on, Owen, come on. That hit me so hard. And Bruce Pritchard, because Bruce won't talk about it, but Val Venus talked about in his shoot. As soon as it happened, Bruce Pritchard sitting at his table. And he immediately stands up and screams, EMTs, EMTs, somebody fell from the rafters. Those two little bits are just probably 2% of the fucking mind-blowing what the hell is going on. And a, a bunch of wrestlers said that Vince asked them if they felt like going on. The Rock has said that Vince was asking the wrestlers. And there's probably a lot of that wrestler, proud, macho, prideful stuff, which the show must go on and all that. But it's it's all fucking chaos. It's just... Like like JR said, like I agree. I don't think it should have happened, but I mean, how judgmental and hard can you shit on people for making decisions in that much fucking chaos? And just to be in such a traumatic situation, all you can do is have hope and yeah. hope that Owen's going to be okay. Hope that let's just focus, let's get through this show and let's go see Owen at the hospital. That's, I'm sure that's what everyone's saying. a crazy thinking. story. Yeah. Just a crazy story. Sorry, and, Nick. But yeah, just fuck. And, you know, on top of that, the first stage of grief is denial. You know, no one, no one's sitting there thinking Owen's dead. They're just hoping for the best, getting through the show. It's, it's fucked, man. It's beyond fucked. The next night, they did a tribute episode called Raw is Owen that aired May 24th, 99. And, you know, 99, I was 12, I guess. Um, my mom never let us rent the, watch the pay-per-views. So even if I wasn't watching wrestling religiously every Monday after a pay-per-view, I'd watch it because I wanted to know what happened on the pay-per-view. This is before Twitter. You know, this is before, you know, I didn't get dirt sheets and, and I didn't watch the news for sure. So, you know, I, I, I didn't know. And I, I, I turned on the channel and the first thing I saw was uh, in memory of Owen Hart. And 
It is one of the most. It it still sticks out. Like I can't rewatch that the tribute show. I haven't since, and 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 I never will. It's just I was so just tormented for the next two hours and just crying alone in my room. And man, it's to this day is it's very haunting that that entire episode of Raw. I remember when it happened. It made front page news. And even local newspapers. I remember the Clinton Herald had it on the front page. Like, that's just the local Iowa newspaper. And it was front page news. And I remember like a day or two after it happened, this girl in my class, her name was Jackie Du Bois. She was never nice to me. She was always means she when we were in grade school like in first and second grade she would kick me in the shins multiple times and she'd be like you can't hit me and guess what don't tell a teacher like she would she was just a mean mean fucking girl and go out of her way to just be mean to people and i remember after this happened she came up to me and she's like hey i heard owen hart died and I made fun of him on TV one time, and I feel bad about that he's dead right now, and I'm sorry that happened to you, because everybody knew I was, like, the wrestling guy in class. And it's not like I was, like, distraught for day. I was sad, and I bummed out, because I knew how great a fucking Owen was, and I wasn't going to see Owen heart matches ever again. But for somebody that was actually not nice to me ever, and... Also really didn't even like wrestling. And obviously the one time that she watched it, she made fun of it and just happened to fucking make fun of Owen. Uh, for her to recognize the severity of this and coming up to just whatever wrestling person she knew <laughs> speaks to how sad this is. That, like, you know, we live in this wrestling bubble and we've lost a lot of people and it's very sad for us. Like, like I, I was probably for more tormented about Chris Candido's death than any person in my fucking zip code or fucking three or four zip codes over. But the fact that somebody that was in my small town going to my class of 21 people to be that upset about it and distraught over his death, I, th I think it speaks to how big of a tragedy this was. I made the mistake of watching the Owen Tribute Raw last night from like 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. to close up my research for the podcast. And I don't know if it's just me going through my own weird shit with quarantine and trying to get my shit together, but that was the worst fucking decision I have made in so long. Because I legitimately, I would do some other like fine-tuning my script, and then they would have the tribute videos in between the matches blocked off by twos. So I would watch two tribute videos, get a mixture of sad and fucking pissed off, and then do some more on the script, and then see if anybody in a match said anything before their match, and then get fucked up and pissed off and sad about that, and then do that all for the 90-minute episode. I have, like, a whole list. I was going to read them, but I just, I don't, I can't do it. It's just, of all the people that were annihilated throughout their tribute videos in their own way. And it was just, it was a horrible decision because I couldn't fucking sleep last night and I got bad sleep. And it was, it was just, just like, why did I save this for the end of my research? It horrible, horrible decision, Micah. The aftermath of this is uh, pretty, 
pretty ugly for the Hart family. We don't have to get super into it. And then that leads into the complicated relationship and and the preservation of Owen's legacy. He is not in the WWE Hall of Fame. He's not even a searchable profile on the WWE Network. Martha owns, I think, the Owen Hart trademark and all his merch rights. And I can't say anything bad about Martha right now. They killed her fucking husband. But she is very bitter and angry, understandably, towards WWF. And I don't think we'll ever see Owen put in the Hall of Fame. What do you guys think about it? It's... I understand. I mean, I get that because if you like, like the fact that we haven't seen, I don't know if we've seen a, an Owen Hart T-shirt. Like, you could you imagine like legend shirts yeah. of Owen Hart and all of those things and figures, you know, and that does keep his memory alive. And obviously, she would be compensated for using the likeness of her husband, but. Even if Vince McMahon made one penny off of each one of those figures, I could see why you wouldn't even want that to happen. So, I get it. Um, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I wish he was in the Hall of Fame. Because he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's not a Hall of Fame until he's in it. So, at least that honor. Because that would be an honor and then maybe no monetary gain from that. But then again, the Hall of Fame is a TV show and Vince McMahon would benefit from sponsors and commercials off of that so yeah i i see why you wouldn't want any of that wouldn't want him to make a dime not even a penny when they're that responsible i i respect that decision as a fan i wish i could see more of owen and more people could know about him because I, I i do worry that as time goes by his legacy gets further away from the front of people's minds and i'd like a whole younger generation of people to be introduced to him but it's it's really podcasts like this other hall of fames other wrestlers talking about him that's why bret hart will always talk about owen as much as possible i think those are some probably more heartfelt ways to keep his memory alive so i i i respect her wishes on that and that thinking and that thought process i don't i don't think it's selfish at all i i almost think it's fair to be really quite honest, because that's how much he meant to her. I mean, Owen is who Owen was. He had the matches he did. He had the feuds he did. He's in the fucking Hall of Fame. Just because he's physically not presented there, he's Hall of Fame caliber and beyond, beyond. We already know who he was as a wrestler and how fucking good he was and what he did. So just because we didn't induct him and do all that shit, we know he's way up there. But I can't, yeah, there's no way you can argue against Martha. If you don't go through the same shit she did, you can't really say. I mean, there's the whole thing of fans were part of his life, fans need to grieve, fans need to celebrate. But then, you know, then it's like, yeah, all right, I, you went through absolute fucking hell. A company killed your fucking husband. I'm not gonna second guess your decisions. What she does with his legacy is up to her we did we all went through this together as fans but imagine being the only wife of owen hart and having to go through this having to raise your kids without a father uh, it's wrestling fans can be shit bags but i think with martha leave her the fuck alone let her do whatever she wants because 
as big of a tragedy as it is to us, we can't even imagine what it was to her. One quick little sidebar of Fallout stuff that I found that I thought was really cool is that Sting did an interview, I mean, because, you know, the whole Blue Blazer repelling stuff, and Sting, he was supposed to repel from the rafters the night after the pay-per-view on Nitro, and he immediately X'd that, and then he called Brett. This was months later, the way I interpreted it, and it was months later, and Sting asked for Brett's approval, or blessing, and actually talked to the Hart family, who then said Sting could later do it, but it just, it was cool to see someone do something nice and classy and respectful in the wake of all this bullshit of Sting reaching out and understanding the business and trying to do something good. Well, final thoughts on the great Owen Hart. So we've done now a two-part episode on Owen Hart, and obviously we knew the end was going to be like this, but um, I I, I guess maybe uh, to put... (laughs) something a little bit lighter out there that hasn't been brought up is because I feel like if we don't bring it up at all in the middle of an Owen Hart podcast, did we really even do an Owen Hart podcast in that we never brought up one rib ever (laughs) during this thing. (laughs) But I mean, every shoot interview, every podcast, they've always asked about Owen rib. Yeah. So everybody has one. And when I mean everybody, I mean, George South even has an Owen <laughs> Ribs story, which has not uh, seen the light of day <laughs> until this podcast. Because uh, when I started talking about this, uh, obviously I shared all the information before, but then I asked, like, did you ever, were you ever around Owen whatsoever? And, and, and then, of course, I was like, do you ever get ribbed by him? He goes, oh, yeah, like, of course I did. Like, that's, that's what he did. <laughs> and he goes, but it was never like mean. I guess the one rib that Owen pulled on george because whatever reason george got flown in to to do jobs or tv or whatever and george thought it was a big deal and of course like he was like freaked out like oh my gosh i'm in an airport what am i doing what am I doing? because like i think george has only been to george has only flown i think twice since i've known him over the last 15 years as a pro wrestler so george was landing and of course all he had was just just his carry on and you know he had his his stuff and he was about ready to get to the building and he was kind of in a rush. And then all of a sudden he heard over the loudspeaker, uh, George South, please come to baggage claim. And George went to baggage claim and he thought it was weird. Cause it's like, I didn't check any bags. I don't know what's going on. And George is standing there and just standing there in baggage claim and just standing there and then just waiting around. And then he's like, there's nobody here. And then all of a sudden he heard a laugh and it was Owen who then like got back on the on, on the speaker again George South you are currently in baggage claim right now <laughs> and George is like just blown away and goes they just let him do that <laughs> he just like he just picked up a walkie talkie and talked over this airport with all these security people like this is like and obviously this is pre 9-11 but he's just like George is blown away like he just did that there there are there are, there are cops walking around there's security there there are pilots i mean like somebody who talks on that he could have like landed like airplanes in new jersey instead of new york like he just was just blown away that owen just like yeah i'm gonna make fun of the job guy and george felt like he kind of did it to make him feel included and in part of the team like that's just kind of the the vibe and you know, I've talked about George many times, and I think what most people know about George is he's this tremendous family man. Like, family has always come first for him. 
when he was in Kansas City, George would send 75% of his paycheck back home and he would live off like the 25% that he got off these shitty payoffs. Um, he would starve himself just so his family could eat. The, the countless times that George has like picked his family over professional wrestling, even though he loves professional wrestling so much, like he's George has been such a professional family man. Even one time, like somebody asked him to go to Japan, and he goes, "What about my family?" And as soon as he asked that question, they hung up on him. Oh. And like, like that's how much George loved his family. But when I talked to George about Owen, George was like. Oh, you think I'm a family man? This guy takes the cake. For someone to be that big of a family man that I know to say that Owen Hart was a far bigger family man, I think speaks to how much of a family man Owen was. Like People have said it in interviews, they talk about the dream home that he never got to live in and how much he loved his kids and how much he loved his wife and all these things. But like for someone like George to go, Oh no, this guy loved his family more than I did. And George would have given up his wrestling career for his family. If if it really came down, if it really, really, really came down to it. And um, Owen would have gave more at the end of the day. And Owen has affected me in a personal way. And I've, I've, I don't know if I've ever shared this before with anybody before, but a few years after Owen passed, there was uh, the Annie documentary series that came out about Andre the Giant and like uh, and Mick Foley and a lot of other people. It, it aired on the Annie Network, and they did one on Owen Hart. And uh, Martha Hart was a prominent part of that piece, and she talks about one of the last like loops he was getting ready to go leave on, or it was the last time she ever saw him or one of or, or the last time and she was talking about how Owen was late because he was always late and of course it's flying from Calgary to the United States it's international so he's got to be there earlier than expected and he's running late now and he, he's getting his shoes on and he's in a rush and, and and Martha's there and she wants to say goodbye to him but like she doesn't want to be in his way because you know he's in a, he's got to get on the road like right now and she just wants to say goodbye so she just kind of gives him a little quick peck on the cheek and he stops everything stops everything stops stops messing with the shoes stops packing stops being in a rush he stops everything pulls her in and plants the biggest kiss on her he possibly can. Stop the world for that woman. And I can't tell you how many times that I've thought about that when I've been in a similar situation. Um, or I need to like rush off and I'm running late and like for like I gotta hurry up because I gotta take the ring there and I gotta do this or I gotta hurry up and leave and I've gotta get to the airport earlier than everybody else or I gotta do this or I'm gonna rush and like my significant others there and I always right as I'm about I go out the door I think about that story about Owen and I'm like no let's stop everything let's give this person who I love all the attention in the world at this specific moment when I'm at my my busiest and, I, and I've always tried to do that every single time so you can learn a lot from Owen Hart in the ring you can learn a lot about wrestling um, you can learn about you know living your life and, and giving back to your family but the thing that he's taught me that will stay with me forever is he's taught me how to love Owen was my favorite action figure I had I'm such a 
Mark for the the big spinning hill kick. I love <laughs> I love uh, X Pox. I love Hayabusa's. I love RVDs. I love everyone who does. But Owens would just clobber people, and his wrestling figure had like the slightest bend in his knees, so that if you you know set him down and you threw him at doing a spinning hill kick, it looked perfect. And it was, I I think my figure's still at my parents somewhere. It's beat to shit. It's it's all scraped up. You know how they get those little chips in them because every day played with Owen. And if you're a newer fan, I can't. If you didn't watch this growing up or if you haven't went back and watched the 90s and i can't stress enough how good of a wrestler owen was in this era in that era in any era he was like mr perfect mixed with a high flyer like don't be jaded on the last 20 years of flippy shit owen was doing shit in the 80s and 90s that was unbelievable he was right up there with dynamite kid eddie and whoever you want to name People love to forget or shit on the new generation, but you can't take away the Owen and Brett angle is one of the greatest things that ever happened in wrestling. The Owen Davy matches. Uh, I love them so fucking much. I mean, I'll, I'll put that up against anything. AEW prime ring of honor, prime PWG fucking name it. Put Owen Hart in that ring with those guys. And it's going to be better than it ever, than it ever was. I mean, he, if he would have had Bret Hart's mentality of that seriousness and that business business, he would have been the greatest wrestler of all time. Hands down, no one would have touched him. I mean, he could do he could do every style. He was a perfect mix of everything. You want exciting dives and moonsaults and pitcher perfect drop kicks, he's got you. You want old school territory, Matt Wrestling, he's got you. You want someone who can go out and get you some laughs, get you some tears, get you any emotion. Owen Hart could do it. I mean, his gut-rich suplex was so good. Like I said, the spinning hill kick is one of my favorite things ever. His missile drop kicked looked like God coming down from the sky. The I don't know what you call it. The flipping kip up out of an arm lock and lock up that he did. It was so beautiful every fucking time. And I don't know if there's ever been a more mourned wrestler than Owen Hart. Like the fans, the wrestlers... Owen left a hole that, what is this, 21 years later, still isn't filled. I think his death is the most tragic thing to ever happen in pro wrestling. Like, he was innocent during this. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just doing his job, and he died. I mean, he was a good-hearted person. He was an amazing person. He And he, di- he didn't deserve what happened to him. But no matter what happens with his legacy and how it's kind of getting shoved back and forth, you know, he won't be forgotten the the fans will never let owen hart's name die and whether he gets put in the hall of fame or not the the fake concept that is the wwe hall of fame owen hart will forever be remembered as one of the best to ever do it i want to start off with something that's kind of surprising that uh, everybody's gonna enjoy i want to start off with a hashtag fuck <laughs> vader and i will get to that by correcting myself and saying because owen would want this to be known he was a three-time Slammy Award winner, damn it. He won for the biggest rat in 94 for the Brett feud. He won biggest uh, in-ring shocker for knocking out Shawn Michaels with his enziguri. And then he stole the best bow tie award. I forget who was supposed to get it. And then he talked shit to Davey. He's like, yeah, you got two titles, but I got two Slammies. And then it, him and uh, 
or they were supposed to have a tag match at WrestleMania against Mankind and Jake's favorite Vader. And Owen built up the match even more by going into the crowd, grabbing a tray of teas, and throwing them all over Vader's. And the funniest part is, is Vader starts running after him, and Owen does the smoothest running, grab a chair, pull it behind him to block who's going after him move, and Vader shoot bust the living shit out of his ass. And when I watched this, I cackled so fucking loud, I figured everyone around me heard. And it was just the most beautiful thing. All I could think was like, man, Jake, Jake must have loved this. There's so much stuff. Like, when I write all my notes and I try to find all the good stuff that these wrestlers did. And to give these little details to really kind of put them over. these, like, oh, you didn't know this? Oh, you didn't know this? I really fucking value that stuff. Because that's the stuff as a true tape trading alone in his room dude would really get off on. And, like, something that we didn't bring up is King of the Ring 96. And go and watch the Davy Boy versus Shawn Michaels match where Owen is the most biased, asshole, heel commentator rooting on Davy and crapping on everybody else and shitting on the rest of the Hart family. It's it's so damn good. And, you know, he's just he's, he was good at a lot of stuff, man. Uh, another thing we can get behind, he retired the fucking Ultimate Warrior in WWF. Ultimate Warrior's last match. Owen was against him and then him and I can't remember who it was, but they beat the shit out of him and... Ultimate Warrior got escorted off as he was injured. So you can thank Owen Hart for getting rid of the Ultimate Warrior. The documentaries that are out there are really good. I, it's They could be better, but it's that thing where it's fucking... You're doing a documentary on Owen Hart, and there's people who are deeply touched by him talking about him. So, of course, you're going to be like, okay, this is fucking good because it's destroying me internally. Putting over another podcast, the Grill and JR episode, talking about it, man... So many details we didn't get into. If you're a really big Owen fan, you got to listen to it. JR is so blunt and honest. It's it's really something. I want to put over Owen Hart fan on YouTube. Because as I said, tape trading fucking weirdo who sat in the dark and learned about these people and pretended to know them and pretended to bond with them through watching these matches and being surprised by oh man you haven't seen this match then shit now i gotta tell people about it and feeling like i was in this exclusive club with owen look up owen hart fan on youtube he's got so much deep dive matches on there that really just man i gotta catch up uh watch that marathon match because i gotta do it too so we can do that together thinking about because like i knew this episode was gonna be tough and I knew the death was going to be tough. And all the research I did last night was a lot of his death. And so much of it was trying to form like this big profound thought on this shit. And so much of the chaos of just, it's fucking 34, man. And he's gone. And it just kind of turned into my brain not being able to form many thoughts. And just being like, fuck, who cares? Fuck everything. Why is this like this? And I don't know, sometimes you just got to do that because sometimes that lets your brain heal. And that's the way I felt last night, man. It was not a good idea, but shit, I guess it happened. (sighs) I want to close on saying fucking watch Owen Hart matches for the love of God.